You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. car crash no that was the beavers game against the ducks yesterday uh, so a train wreck yeah okay. actually that was the first half Can okay we go with the first half yeah the first half was brutal yeah the second half they made a comeback but everybody's complaining about two-point conversions and i get it this can be frustrating that they went for it early and often and missed all of them uh. but the fact that they only forced oregon to punt once and didn't get any turnovers i think was the real issue of that game not the two-point conversions just throwing that out there. You know, I left that off of the show sheet on purpose so you wouldn't have to talk about it because I also did not want to talk about the way North Carolina lost to NC State. Yeah, that was <laughs> insanely brutal. Yeah. Like, when you kick a field goal to go up nine with just over two minutes to go, you typically <laughs> feel like, okay, I think we're all right. Not the case. But just like Oregon State... NC State also recovered an onside kick, huh? True. Yes, they did. But also, there was a massively blown... Like, the one thing you can't (laughs) do is let someone get over the top of you for a downfield pass in that scenario, and that's what started the whole thing. Should we introduce, like, ourselves and others? We should actually start the show, huh? (laughs) Maybe? So that's Daniel Hargrove. I'm Justin Domashevitz. We have our trusty producer, Andrew Gross. Andrew Andrew Goat Gross here with us. Andrew Goat Gross. I think that could be your new nickname. I like it. Yep. And uh, as a special treat, we also have Ian Cope here with us, the voice of Grays Harbor Sports. Yes. And uh, he's going to help us. He'll give us a really good recap of the Monty Girls soccer team that went to the state tournament and trophied, which is awesome. Um, and he'll be able to give us a really good rundown of that team because he's there for all of it for years. Yes. And also, I think he might have opinions on other things. Do you have opinions? I, I dabble. I dabble. <laughs> he dabbles in opinions. In the opinionated nature of things, yes, I have been known to, uh, to, let, to let opinions slide every now and then, or slip out of my mouth. No. Yes, yes. All right, let's get it going with the two-minute drill. Let's go, let's go, let's go, hurry up. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two-minute situation, 44 seconds, hand the ball around. Gun duel right, gun duel right. Three jet Buckeye, don't worry. The two-minute drill starts now. Daniel, what are the chances that current number four Cincinnati gets squeezed out of the college football playoff rankings this week despite a 35-13 win over East Carolina? Well, sadly, the board does not like East Carolina or anybody that Cincinnati plays, so I am terrified that they are actually going to get passed up by either putting Michigan State and Ohio State in there ahead of them, even though one of those teams has two losses now. I'm freaked out that that's going to happen. Also, Notre Dame beat Stanford, which shouldn't matter for much either, but they really like Notre Dame, even though Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. And then you also have Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma. So all of those opponents, the college football playoff committee likes better than anybody Cincinnati plays. And I'm just terrified that they're going to slide somebody ahead of them into that top four and knock them out. 
In the best matchup of the early college basketball season, fifth ranked Duke beat number one Gonzaga 84 to 81. Not only did this turn out to be a much better game than UCLA, who was ranked number two against Gonzaga at number one. Justin, does this loss by Gonzaga mean anything? I don't care about this at all. Duke <laughs> is poop. Gonzaga is fart. Let's move on to the next thing. I like how you started hating Gonzaga all of a sudden. The Washington State Cougars crushed the Washington Huskies in this year's edition of the Apple Cup. Daniel, have the 7-5 and five Cougars exceeded your expectations for this season? I'm just going to hand this one off to Ian. Have they exceeded your expectations for this season? Absolutely. No, it was this. This was not a team. This is a team that was picked to finish last in the Pac-12 this season. So, absolutely, they didn't. I think when they were what one and three, lost to Utah in just the most horrifying fashion. Couldn't get the quarterback right. Misusing Max Borgie again. Yeah, it was it, it, it was an absolute train wreck. And to see the way they turned it around, to see the way Borgie has taken over. The defense is playing awesome right now. That's what I love about it. Is they're actually a defensive team in the running game. That is what I love about football, and I did not expect it. So, yes, they have exceeded my expectations. Awesome. LeBron James has been. <laughs> oh, shoot. Sorry. I, had a feeling I heard LeBron. I heard LeBron, and I just hit the buzzer. Oh, did right? someone say LeBron? Re- reflexively. Did you say LeBron? Who said LeBron? Sorry. That's really on Justin for putting a LeBron question at the end. That's fair. <laughs> Uh, he's been suspended for punching, fined for an obscene gesture, and criticized for having some Pacers fans kicked out of a game. I should have let you finish that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Was this a good or bad week for the king? It's a neutral week. Neutral. <laughs> for a lot of guys, you would look at this and go, well, at least he kept his name in the headlines. But he doesn't need to do that. He's already a headline constantly. The obscene gesture was funny. And I'm sorry if it offended anyone, but I don't give a crap about that. It was funny. The fans who he had kicked out of a game apparently said, I hope your son dies in a car crash. So I'm okay with him saying, yeah, can you get these obnoxious fans out of here? And I wish players would actually do that more because the level of what fans think is acceptable to do and say to players on the field or on the court has gotten really out of control. So I think there should be more of that. The punching... The punch. That's not a great look, but also he's got a, what, 18-year history in the NBA of not doing stuff like this. So I think you can probably kind of at least go, okay, first offense, that was a bad thing, but we can move on from it. Honestly. And, and honestly, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the way that former Washington Husky Isaiah Stewart <laughs> reacted <laughs> afterwards really overshadowed the punch because he turned into a crazy person. Yes, I was going to say the punch led to one of the funniest videos we've seen this year, so I'm almost okay with it. Like, I couldn't stop laughing. I, Isaiah Stewart's like, no, I'm good, I'm calm, I'm calm, I'm calm, psych! Three different times in that video. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. And, and I can say it's hilarious because nobody was actually hurt yeah. when, you know, it didn't escalate too far out of hand. So yeah. that's what kept it hilarious, is nobody got hurt. And so we can laugh at the ridiculousness of and it. all of the little things, like yeah. Russell Westbrook and DeAndre Jordan being LeBron's bodyguards. <laughs> yeah. Russell Westbrook putting his dukes up. Isaiah Stewart literally taking out staff members on his way to try to, like, trucking people like Marshawn Lynch in a beast mode run trying to yes. get to LeBron. He broke six tackles. Yeah, he did. It was amazing. <laughs> all right, what do you think about the college football playoff rankings? Because I, I honestly... When I saw Michigan beat up on Ohio State, I was like, oh, crap. They're going to put Ohio State and Michigan ahead of Cincinnati. 
I'm nervous about it because of the same reason I was nervous last week. Because I was like, okay, well, Michigan had a good win. The playoff committee is going to do the thing that they do well. Well, we just, let's forget all about the resume and everything that actually happened this season. We just think Michigan's better. And I thought they were going to put Michigan in that four spot. They didn't, but they could now. Yeah, because it turns out Michigan is better. I mean, then well, Michigan, thought they were. Michigan's going to be in it. So to me, <laughs> yeah. it's the Ohio State or Oklahoma State question that are the most concerning. You don't think Notre Dame? What, what do you think about that? Aren't you worried Bama could get back in with a win next week? Bama's in. Bama's already in. Sorry. Could, uh, Bama almost Georgia, lost to Auburn. Georgia. And that would have made things, if Bama had lost to Auburn, See, that's, that's, that would have made things really you, interesting. You don't think that Bama will drop after that loss to, or that after that win over Auburn? I don't think so. I don't think so. And See, I think even if they lose to, to Georgia, unless they lose by 40 points to Georgia, I think they're going to be in no matter what. That's frustrating to me because if you're going to say, well, this team hasn't played, like this team's, I mean, they've looked good, but they haven't played anybody, then you have to pay attention to the teams that are not looking good. No, you don't. I mean, you should. Not if you're the college you should football playoff pay attention committee. to teams that are want. not looking good. Andrew, they're the SEC. We all know that every SEC team is just better than everybody, it's including like, Vanderbilt. It's like watching football in color. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I think we get out of the four-team playoff if Alabama gets left out. It will, it, will happen. it will happen. That's a good point. Yes, That's a good point. But, no, my, my concern is the, the two teams that are playing their uh, championship games, uh, Oklahoma State and uh, uh, Michigan. If they both lose, then I think Cincy could be in real trouble because oh. I, could see, uh, I could see Michigan and Ohio State being back in there, uh, and then that's going to be a problem. And then, I mean, Oklahoma's mercifully out, but – yeah, I, I think the most optimistic one I saw right now was what, Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma State, and Cincy with Alabama on the outside, which I'm mm. really hoping for because I hate the 14 playoff of the fashion. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. yeah. It's weird to think, though, that Oklahoma State could jump from 7 to 4 over a team that just won by three touchdowns. Yeah. Yep. And like the Notre Dame thing, I think the one saving grace that Cincinnati has is that they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. Yeah. So even though the committee has proved that that's not a 100%, <laughs> they still have that. Like, yeah. they, they're undefeated, and they handed Notre Dame their one loss. Yeah. So it would be, if Notre Dame jumped Cincinnati, it would be insane. Oh, my gosh. But at least they're going to be looking for every possible argument. The only thing with Oklahoma State is that that's not like a traditional national power. So if it was Oklahoma, I would be more worried. But it's Oklahoma State, which is kind of a second tier thing. So, like, to me, this whole thing is all a popularity contest. So they're going to be looking for how can we make sure Alabama gets in? How can we make sure Ohio State gets in? You know, those are the ones. But there's very few programs like that that I feel like they're going to be trying to shimmy in no matter what. You know how upset I would be if Oklahoma State, the team that robbed (laughs) my team of the colors... Gets in there. I mean, you have the same acronym already. You couldn't have picked different colors. And I heard that so much so that the so whoa so much so. Apparently, I'm from the northern Midwest right now. Uh, so much so that the broadcaster during the Oregon State Oregon game yesterday literally went Oklahoma State with the first down, and I'm like, oh, you've got. Speaking of Oklahoma State robbing Oregon State, I heard Barry Sanders actually was trying to commit to Oregon State, (laughs) and he made a mistake and got the wrong OSU. 
But he just was like, meh, I'll just play here. Same colors. Yeah. Interesting uh, note. Assistant coach for the Oklahoma State Cowboys, Jason McIndoo, former Aberdeen uh, Bobcat. Oh, oh nice. I didn't know that. Alignment. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So congratulations to him. A Bobcat and a Cougar? Yeah. That's a good and combo. former Seattle Seahawk. Wow. Yeah. So we've got two Bobcats in the running to get into the college football playoff this year. And the plot thickens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else we want to get to from the two-minute drill that you want to expand upon? Do you want to talk about LeBron? Do you want, No, I think we talked enough about LeBron. Okay, well. I'm surprised your dismissal of the Gonzaga. Like, when did you he just doesn't want to talk about college basketball. I don't hate Gonzaga, but I really, really, really wanted them to beat Duke. Okay, so you're upset with I them at the moment. I was very disappointed, especially after the way they completely annihilated UCLA, which was supposed to be one of the best teams in the country. And I have been of the opinion that this Duke team is good, but a little overrated. And then in this game, Gonzaga had no answer for Paulo Ranchero or whatever his name is. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm probably getting that a little bit wrong, but they couldn't guard him. And also, Chet Holmgren's cool and he's good. But he looks like if you touch him, he'll break. And if you blow on him, he'll fall over. Is that the it, seven foot, na- 190 pound yeah, kid? It's Kevin Durant. He looks exactly like Kevin Durant did in college. Do you guys not remember that? I oh, heard no, somebody I re- <laughs> on the radio say that Kevin Durant weighed 30 more pounds than Yeah, him, I was going to say, he was Kevin, 210. He, Kevin Durant was super He's thin. He's 190, so that'd be 20 more pounds. Oh, okay. Kevin wow. Durant is super thin, but I and I remember that being a talking point while Durant was in college, but I never felt the same way watching him as I did with Holmgren, like really? watching him play. Oh, I felt he the same He looks way. so much smaller yeah. to me. But that could just be you he know, is a freshman, the, right? Me yeah, yeah. misremembering the past. Just the, a thing baby. I, the thing I like about him is he boxes boxes out every shot that goes up, which surprised me because I thought when I saw his highlight videos, everything I thought he was going to hang around to the outside, not try hard in the paint. But he actually works in the paint. He so. can handle the ball and and drive to the basket too, mm-hmm. which is I mean he has a very wide skill thought, set for his size. I thought Gonzaga just made. Dumb turnover after dumb turnover in that mm-hmm. game. Like, I was watching, I watched like the late game highlights, but it's like every possession. And there were so many times where Timmy just got himself caught in trouble and either threw up a bad shot or straight up threw the ball away. And Timmy usually doesn't do that. So I was a little surprised with that. That's what I was wondering if this could be a blessing for Gonzaga to get a loss early so and, you don't have and that all get. Year. Well, not just the pressure, but also maybe get a slap in the face early in the season. Like, do you want to lose more? Stop it. Yeah. It's I, Banchero. I have no idea. Banchero. It's Paulo Banchero. Okay. My bad. Not Ranchero. Okay. Is there a way that they don't make it into the West Coast Conference Tournament? The Gonzaga? Yeah. You mean into the NCAA tournament? No, in, in, into their conference tournament. They're going to win their conference tournament, right? Yeah. yeah. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. This game doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was kind of my that's thought. A fair point. Is that maybe it's better to lose early yeah. and Or it's actually better feel... than that to just win yeah. all your games, yeah. personally. Maybe. <laughs> but that hasn't been working for them, is all I'm saying. It doesn't matter how good Gonzaga is, because they'll only be good enough to make it to the Final Four and maybe make it to a championship game, and they will never win one ever, ever, ever. That's no matter they, what. That's what. They can have the number one recruiting cr- class and all the talent in the world like they did last year, and they will never win one. See, almost this bitter. I'm, yes. I'm clipping okay. that, okay. Just, <laughs> just in case. You know what? I was gonna rebut that, but let's just go. <laughs> let's just go to Justin's favorite. Part Is that of the like show. because I was being a butt? 
So you have to rebut it. You have to rebut it. Yeah. yeah. Serving <laughs> questions up on a silver platter where the points are made up and the rules don't matter. Time for Stump Daniel. So I've been feeling Stump Daniel brought to you by the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz, by the way. Thank you for that sponsorship. I've been feeling like we've been way too sportsy lately. Oh, no. So Daniel and I made a challenge against each other last week that he thought was a joke and I took seriously. Uh-oh. That we would go head-to-head in Avatar The Last Airbender trivia. I knew I should have done some research. Ian's disappointed. Yeah, he wanted <laughs> some sports. He wanted some sports questions. I've been watching this segment and have dreamed of sitting here ready to mock Daniel relentlessly. You'll have to join us uh, again sometime. I was. Welcome to the core of Stump Daniel, oh. which is Justin disappointing it's- everyone possible. <laughs> I would say it's more. It's more than the core of Stump Daniel. It's like my theme on the show. How can I disappoint people the most? So I've got some Avatar The Last Airbender trivia for you, Daniel, and okay. I didn't go with any Legend of Korra because when we talked <laughs> last week, you hadn't finished the series yet. You finished the series yes. now, but for me, I just stayed with the original, the OG, Last Airbender series. Oh, crap. Question number one. I think what I... is the name of the board game that Uncle Iroh loves to play? Pai Zhao. Ooh, you're so close. It's actually Pai Show. Sorry, Daniel. I can't even give you 50% credit for that. <laughs> Which character from the show was secretly the Blue Spirit? Oh, that was uh, Zuko. Zuko, that is correct. Okay, I got one. I feel so much better now. I was really worried I was going to be shut out. They're going to get a little tougher as we go. Oh, no. Which air temple is Aang originally from? Northern, Southern, Eastern, or Western? I should know this. One. Yeah, you should. Northern. Ooh, I'm sorry, that's not correct. It's the Southern Air Temple. The Northern Air Temple was where they went, where there was all the you know new technology and people right. being able to fly around with the right. air currents and stuff. Yeah. Which of Azula's friends has a special ability as a chi blocker? I have to remember the names. Yes. <laughs> It's almost like I said I could do trivia or something. <laughs> I don't remember their names at all. Not one bit. You don't remember? <laughs> Ty Lee! Yeah, that. Is the answer to the question. May is the one who dated Zuko. Yeah, I uh, vastly overstated my uh, knowledge. You seem so confident. I know. What is the name of the sinister spirit, also known as the Face Stealer? That episode was so creepy. Super creepy. So creepy. Yeah. You meet I don't up with a spider-looking spirit with like different a, faces. Yeah. Oh, super was... faces that were stolen from people. Yeah. What did they have afterwards? No face. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> that's just that's empty the, face. That, you should lead with that. <laughs> what was the name of the spirit, Daniel? It's Ko. Bad job by you. <laughs> Terrible answer. What was the name of the spirit who guarded the spirit library, and what form did he take? I can't remember the name, but it was an owl. Okay. But you don't remember the name. I don't remember the name. Wan Shi Tong. Okay, there's no way I was remembering. How did you not get that? 
Yeah, this was a tear. So it's been a while <laughs> since we passed on being like this. And I don't like it. So am I to understand that he fancies himself something of an authority on this show? You should have heard him last week. He felt very confident about challenging me in trivia about this show. Yep. And what's going to happen now is, Daniel, you're going to go home and tell your wife about all these questions you missed. And she's going to be like, how did you not get that? Yes. Yep. Which also is going to happen is my daughter, who watches this podcast, by the way. Okay. Um, and, and loves Avatar The Last Airbender, is going to watch it. And she's going to mock you. Really. <laughs> I would like a recap of that. I will. Okay. I, I will let her know. And she will watch it. And she's going to, she'll probably get all of them right. Oh, yes, she will. Daniel, what uh, great weapon did Azula and the Fire Nation soldiers use in an attempt to break through Ba Sing Se's walls? A drill. A giant steam-powered drill is correct. Oh, so I get it for just saying drill? Cool. <laughs> That's essentially what it was. Okay, it was good. a giant drill. And yeah. you pronounced drill correctly. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not like the board game. What is the ragtag team of child rebels assembled by Jet to wage guerrilla warfare against the Fire Nation soldiers called? They had a name? Yes! By the way, I tested all of these questions out on Angel, and she got pretty much every single one. Ah, oh. <laughs> Do you want to throw a guess out? Not one that's not going to sound totally stupid. It reminded me of, like, the whole, like, Robin Hood thing, but... You think they're the Lost Boys? That's Peter Pan. The Merry Men. I was the Merry Men or Lost Boys, but I don't think they were actually called the Lost Boys. I don't remember them having a name, to be honest. Like this is the one where I'm. This is the first one where I'm like, I don't remember ever hearing that. Like actually, so no, I don't even. It's know a very this. literal name. Freedom Fighters was the name of their group. Bad job by you. <laughs> what is the name of the beach where Zuko, May, oh Azula, gosh. and Ty Lee face themselves in the most boring episode that of the entire the series? That was the most boring episode. <laughs> there was so many feelings. That was like the teen drama episode of Yeah, the it show. totally was. Yeah. Although we did get one of the best quotes out of that episode because that was when Azula was trying to convince that boy that they could be the most powerful couple in all the Fire Nation. Yeah, and then what was the quote? No, it was like a. <laughs> it was like then the boy kind of did the anime thing, the blinky thing, and then like scooted away. Yes. Like that was too intense for him. Yeah. Coming on too strong. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Ember Island. Bad job by you, Daniel. Dude, this is. I'm doing so bad at this, I can't even make it entertaining. You've got two out of nine, and there's one more left. More than just two more than I got. I don't watch the show. <laughs> Would you say that he's in the duck zone oh. right now? Oh. Oh. If you don't get this one, you'll be in the duck zone <laughs> for sure. Right now, I'd say you're in the husky zone. <laughs> Which character's voice actor also played a recurring role on Arrested Development? Whoa. This can't be news to you. What if it is? Can I get a hint? Like, is it a main character in Arrested Development? It is not one of the star characters, but okay. it's a recurring role that's in the show quite a bit. 
Is it, um... Is it the guy who plays Tobias? Ooh, I'm sorry, it is not. It's actually Mae Whitman, who plays Anne Veal on Arrested Development. Egg? George Michael's boyfriend, who also dates you, other... You mean girlfriend. Girlfriend, who also dates other people on the show. She is the voice of Katara. What? Yeah, Annabelle. Does she ever say anything her? in her? <laughs> in Arrested Development? Does she have any speaking lines in Arrested Development? Oh, yeah, oh, she okay. does. She, well, at first she doesn't speak very much, but then when they get to the point where, like, they're doing the whole, are George Michael and Anne going to get married? Oh, and right, then they right. do the vow, renew- vow renewal for the for um, George Sr. And all, yeah. there's all this stuff. There's, she has right, a larger right, speaking right. role as the show goes on. That's right. That's all, Daniel. You got two out of ten. You know what's... That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even... You did, there were so many that you didn't even guess on, I didn't get to use my catchphrase. I know. Terrible That's guess. A, I know. I'm sorry. That's brutal. Like I said, I was so bad at that, I couldn't even make it entertaining. Um, I'm disappointed that I didn't know that that was who was Katara's voice because yeah. usually when I'm watching shows, I'll recognize a voice and I'll be like, oh, I got to make sure that's who that mm-hmm. is. Like in uh, Legend of Korra, the guy, um, have you seen Great News? Yeah. The guy who's like typecast as like hilarious news anchor. Mm-hmm. He was in that show and his character is amazing. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but sorry. I know exactly who yeah. you're talking about, but yeah. I also can't remember his name. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> He doesn't usually have big parts. Well, hopefully Ian's, uh, Ian's daughter enjoyed that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting emotional. Not gonna lie. <laughs> good timing. It's been a while since we had a really good stump, Daniel, where you actually got stumped. Yeah. In a way that made you feel bad, because even lately, you we've been having all these ones where when you get them wrong, it's like, eh, should I have known that? Yeah. I should have known those. Okay. Well, well, let's get to the headline part of our show, the reason why we have a guest, to talk about this uh, Monty Girl soccer team that makes it all the way into the Final Four. And people every now and then will be like, oh, really? We're doing soccer games now for when we're talking about broadcasts? And I'm like, you know what? When a team makes it to the Final Four, that's kind of when we've, at least for me, because that's when I covered some baseball games. We don't usually do baseball, but we had a Hoquiam team a while back make it to the Final Four. I then I was like, man, it would be nice if we could do fast pitch, especially me and you have had that conversation yeah. a yeah. lot before, especially when we had Monty, Hoquiam, and Elma all in the state tournament. The how we would construct that would be so hard to do. It, when you have, when you go over to tournament ball and you've got four games going on at the same time, <laughs> and then you've got to just hope that you get these two teams advancing into the semifinals or the quarterfinals or the or the championship round, you just and you end up having to hope that one team loses, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> for something to happen in a certain way. So yeah, it's it, fast pitch would be a, a difficult one to do. I think it'd be fun to do. I feel uh, like you could do it like red zone style. It's kind of like you, have you to do it. Yeah, yeah. You'd, Just, you'd have to have like someone watching and run over and yeah. it's time for a scoreboard update. Daniel, go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But all of that to get into. We had a girls' soccer team from Montesano go all the way into the Final yeah. Four, first time in program history, and it just happens to be the team that you know probably the most about. <laughs> yeah, I've been watching the team for 10 years, uh, at least uh, the, uh, the the senior class for 10 years, uh, and uh, it was it was something to see. It was... Uh, it, it was eye-opening. I will say that much. It, it was it was a great celebration to uh, of uh, of Monty soccer and uh, the, just the game of soccer, uh, the beautiful game as it is called. Uh, and uh, when it's played well, it, it really is something. And it, it it was really neat to see that 
then when you saw the quality of the teams that Montesano was going up against, you see the schools that treat soccer the way Monty treats fast pitch, mm-hmm. where there are kids that play a year-round that do nothing but play soccer. And you saw a couple of those. They, uh, Livy Moore, the, I think she probably ended up being the player of the tournament if there was such a thing, uh, ended up, uh, she's committed to the University of Oregon. Uh, they've got a, a player that uh, LaCenter has that plays for the uh, Portland Thorns, the uh, uh, the the oh. ladies professional league, uh, their developmental team. Wow. So yeah, it's uh, they, they went up against some teams that the, the, two of their losses were against teams that were led by players that are just otherworldly uh, skills. Um, and it, it was kind of as I, I talked with Fidel Sanchez, the head coach, afterwards, and he said, "We see what we need to get to now. Uh, there's our th- those are our aspirations now to get to be as good as they are." Wow. So. Uh, my big question really is, I, I know the construction of this team is there was a ton of seniors, mm-hmm. but it also was led um, in large part by league MVP Michaela Stanfield. And she led the team in goals and was huge through a lot of the season. And the one thing that seems to be a recurring theme on a lot of the social media posts that I've put up is, Hey, don't forget about Jaden Morrison. Like, hey, don't, hey, don't, you can't just go out. Like, Michaela's great. Michaela's great. You can't just go out mentioning Michaela without throwing Jaden Morrison in there. So I have heard Jaden Morrison described as the driving force of Montesano's offense. So I was really curious what you think about how it's more, more just about the roles that the kids play. Like, which, which one can you kind of describe the difference between what Michaela does? and what Jaden does and how they play off of each other so well. I'd say that Michaela drives the middle and takes a lot of passes and shoots and scores, and Jaden drives the outside, and she's just shoots from ridiculous angles and makes her, her shots. I can't remember what game it was. I think it was the, the Riverside game uh, or the, uh, the Lakeside game. Uh, she had two goals in that that were just – no, I, I'm sorry. It was the Tonino game in districts uh, where they won 4-0. Um, she'd fit the ball into just a – shoebox size spot where it had to be there or else the keeper was going to save her or was going to go wide. Um, and she managed to make it. So she did that uh, better than I think anyone else on the team. Um, Michaela took passes and uh, was able to control the ball, take one touch and then shoot uh, in from the middle uh, better than anyone else on the team. Um, so I just think it was uh, kind of an inside outside game. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jaden from the outside on the wing, and then Michaela right down the middle. Uh, and then it, towards the end of the season, Paige Leishness really developed into a scorer. They'd move her up from her uh, defensive midfielder position, and she was just, uh, I mean, she's, what, six foot? Uh, she had three header goals, I think, uh, during the during the last wow. uh, few weeks of the season. So, yeah, they, they developed a, a, a nice little trio of scorers there. And then when they really needed something spectacular, Bethany Henderson had uh, three corner kick goals, direct corner kick goals called Olympicos, uh, three of them that, uh, that found the net. So, wow, that's yeah, they, crazy. And the, the crazy nuts. thing about that is, is Bethany and Michaela are both back next year. So, yes, this is a senior-dominated team. Um, but Riley Timmons, their keeper, who, quite frankly, I think uh, is going to be an all-league keeper in the next couple of years. Uh, She's back. Uh, They've got a couple of really good defenders who are coming up. Uh, uh, Carson Wintrip, one of them, who went to the state uh, team, got called up to the state team. Uh, Their two midfielders, Vanna Prom and Jaden King, who you know from basketball, Mm -hmm. uh, are going to be back. Uh, Annabelle Estrada, Bethany Henderson, uh, Michaela Stanfield, all of them will be back. And then uh, coming up from the JMU ranks, um, uh, Addison Potts is just a tremendous little spark plug forward. Uh, I don't know whether they play her in the middle. I don't know whether they play her on the outside. But she dribbled the ball 
through defense with skill and uh, the awareness uh, that did not look like a freshman at times. Um, she's got some development to go, but this is not a team that is, okay, the senior class is gone, it's rebuilding time. They're just going to reload. I mean, they're going to do what Montesano does. They're going to reload. And talking about that senior class, the development that you've seen up through the years, mm -hmm. like what, I mean, I'm trying to think, do we want to expand it out to like the whole 10 year journey <laughs> that we watched or do we want to shrink it into this year? What the journey was like for this team development wise. Uh, I don't know if you want to start with 10 years ago when you saw these kids starting to play, could you see that this was kind of a special class of kids coming up or did it take in until they got into high school? I'd say until they got into middle school. I think when they were, when they won, uh, when they went to back-to-back -back state championship games in rec ball, you had a feeling that once they got up and were playing at the high school level, that they were going to be a very special group of kids. And then you saw just how good they were when they were mixed in, when Brooke Streeter and Zoe Leishness were there last year and they won the first ever district championship for Montesano. Uh, this year they were the leaders of the team and they ended up uh, you know being the first team that go into the the, uh, the state uh, semifinals and bring in a trophy home so I, th I think that uh, you, you you knew that there was going to be that uh, that cohesiveness and that uh, that bond of playing together for 10 years uh, but then when you saw them the, you, you knew that some of these kids were going to be good uh, you know it's uh, the, the, some some did not advance beyond how good they were as rec players. Uh, others got better when you put them around better players. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd say that uh, this is this is one that's going into this season. I think the the district championship was definitely something that we felt was in their uh, uh, in their grasp. Uh, came up uh, one goal short on that one there, but then to go in and play the way they did against uh, uh, Lakeside, a good solid team, win three to one, and then just play a tough, to mentally tough game against Tonino in that uh, quarterfinal game that ended up going to penalty kicks, uh, to, to know that the other team is basically going to drop back six defenders and play to get to PKs, uh, and to see the mental toughness that they had to withstand that uh, and play for you know 90 minutes of uh, you know knowing that in the last 10 minutes, knowing that the, uh, the last goal could be the end of their season, um, and then to get to PKs, uh, something that Tonino has done three, four times, I think, uh, in the playoffs the last three years. Um, to get there, I think that showed the mental toughness uh, that, that this team had. And weirdly, the same thing happened to the Sounders, like the next, like their next <laughs> right. game. After you told me how Tenino played that game, I was like, oh, that's an interesting strategy. Yeah. The Sounders then got knocked out, like of the playoffs, that their next game by a team that did the same thing and then won in PKs. Yeah, it's mind-numbingly. Uh, boring to watch because uh, but but it's but it's a legitimate skill it's like uh, in boys basketball uh, when uh, when uh, that Hoquiam championship team when LaCenter just basically stalled the whole, the whole game because there was no shot clock at that or point. is it more like the shift in baseball and we should hate it exactly oh <laughs> I despise it but it's it's a legitimate as and so as as long as the as long as the rules allow it it's a legitimate way to play the game I think it's 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 kind of gutless but it's you, you know, make them play defense, and uh, and then uh, Tonino actually had a couple of chances to to get uh, get goals. They had better shots on goal uh, than Montesano did. And luckily, just missed. They hit the crossbar once, and they had another one that uh, Riley Timmons was able to corral. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it, 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 it that game. I think was uh, was the one that really showed just how tough this team was mentally that they were able to hang in there on that. I think we've got a lot of names you've been able to go through and kind of list a lot of what the roster was, you know, who the big impact players are. Right. Were there any kind of like unsung heroes from this yeah. team that didn't get the attention? Like, t 
Timmons got some attention. Michaela, Jaden Morrison getting some attention. Who were the the kids on this team that you felt like were having big impacts but not getting the headlines? Maddie Campbell, Sophie Kupka, and MS Alzar. Okay. The three backline defenders. Um, the only reason that Riley Timmons was not an all league goalkeeper is because she didn't see that many shots, and it was because of them. And then you had Paige Lyshenis in there as the fourth uh, as the fourth defender. I mean, good luck. <laughs> and uh, they they had a rough go of it up at, up at state because they were looking at attackers the likes of which they hadn't seen before. Uh, and you know that's they were outscored in those final games uh, ten to one. But uh, for the majority of the season. Uh, that backline defense was as close to impregnable as you were gonna as you were gonna see. They were they were absolutely amazing. And as I said, Riley Timmons, uh, uh, you know, uh, did not get all league keeper. I think just because she didn't face as many shots uh, as uh, as Coonrad did over in uh, uh, in Elma. And uh, it was well deserved that she got it. That was a great story for the Elma team. I mean, uh, you know, you talk about what Montesano's done. The Elma soccer team uh, they arrived a year early. Uh, they're young, mm-hmm. and uh, with Betta Valentine on that team, they're going to be solid. That's a, that rivalry between – it used to be Tonino and Montesano. It's going to be uh, Montesano and Elma for the next uh, probably three, four years, I'd say. But, yeah, that, that defense that, uh, that Monty had was absolutely incredible for most of the, most of the season. I think they had a four- or five-game scoreless streak uh, where they shut out all of their opponents, and then it, 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 was, it was because of that back line. And this is a team that, I mean, we've mentioned that you've known this team for so long, and that's because your daughter is in this mm-hmm. age group, and she's played with them all the way up through. And it's got to be hard to then go to, even though it's at the state tournament. I mean, Justin and I have gone to games, and we've gone to state tournaments, and we've seen other teams that have their last game before the state tournament. Justin's going to face this in a couple of years. <laughs> I've got a long way to go. <laughs> How in the world did you survive and then also be on air during your daughter's last high school soccer game? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think uh, that was maybe the second time that I cried on air. Uh, if, if, if it wasn't obvious, then I guess I did I did my job on that. No, the first time was when Braden, uh, when Braden uh, Dorman and Sam Winter played their last game for Monty and uh, someone I had just known since he was – you know, six, seven years old. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it, it, it was kind of rough to see. And when Paige came off the field, actually, it, it, honestly, Issa was out there playing for most of the, uh, for the, the what, last 20 minutes of the game. When Vanna Prom got hurt, she came in and played the most, most of the rest of the way. So, but it was watching the play, the seniors individually come off. And when Paige came off, and Fidel went up to her, and you, he just put his arms out and put, put his arms around her, you could just see her. Yeah, and you just knew what was happening. It's yeah. the sink. It, it, yeah. When kids get to the embrace, and then there's like a sink yeah. in their whole body, that's the moment where that, that's emotional to watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it right now. Yeah, yeah. and we, we've all been there. Um, you can't. I, I, t- I told Issa before the game, you don't know what this is going to feel. Oh, I'll be fine. That you don't know what it feels like, and I can't prepare you for it other than to say it's going to suck. <laughs> so, and uh, and sure enough, uh, you know, and we we got off the air and uh, coming out, and and she and I'm sitting there with my back turned, putting uh, putting gear away, and I heard uh, my wife was sitting with me uh, say say hi, bug, and I turned around, and she was just you could just see the tears run, running down her face, and that that was rough. That was rough yeah. to see. So. Good luck. I'm, I'm, <laughs> luck. I'm, not, I'm not ready for it. No. I got emotional watching Elma's drill team right. come off the field for the last time <laughs> so earlier this, so this season. But for me, it's like, I, I, I just want to constantly remind people, like, the reason it's so emotional is it's not a one-year journey. No. Like, these kids who achieve at the high level of these sports, 
many of them have been playing together for years, yep. sacrificing their free time, working out, extra practices, lots of mental, uh, extra mental preparation, and that's how you get to that level. Yep. So I, I don't... I mean, it's it's easy to just look at it and go, oh, that you know, that's sad. They're playing their last game. This is not a one year trip. No. This is not so, this is not sad. This is not difficult to deal with because of what happened in this little three month stretch. It's difficult because these girls have been probably doing this together since they were what ten years old, eight uh, years younger old, than that. Seven, younger eight than eight years that. old in some cases. Yeah. This is the journey of a decade. Yep. So that that's when you start thinking about it in the big picture. That's what makes it so hard for me. Yeah, it's it, it, it is it is brutal, and we see it every year. You know, we see it every year when a, when a football team or a, a basketball team walks off the the court for the last time. We saw it this year with the soccer team when they uh, went off, and it, it was tough also watching when uh, when Monty beat uh, Tonino. Uh, they've played against that team for mm-hmm. seven eight years, and to watch those players just collapse on the field and knowing that that was the end of their careers. Yeah. Uh, and it was the end of that great rivalry of, of uh, it started off when they were lightning, the Montesano lightning and the Tenano Cobras uh, in rec ball. Uh, they played. Ooh, Cobras. That's a cool team name. <laughs> and oh, they, lightning were, and they were good. They were good. I mean, they dominated Montesano in rec ball and in, uh, in rec soccer. They I think been. lightning could beat a Cobra though. Like if a cobra got struck, you're gonna by Mike lightning. leech this, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and you just made me bring up the the unholy names. So <laughs> darn you for that. But uh, I don't know. No, but it, it, it was it was it was neat to it was and I I, I, I did a post on that uh, that said mm-hmm. this is how it had to end. This is how one of these teams' last game had to be against each other, Tenino mm-hmm. and Montesano. So that that was kind of the high water mark when they when they beat Tenino. And you know there there was a some a, a little bit of. Uh, know this is the first time they're there and they're happy to be there and then they went out and just went up against these two juggernaut teams so uh, it, it it was disappointing in the way it ended but uh definitely a kind of a program building moment i mm-hmm. think that fidel and uh, and gary and rick and, and chris will be able to build on uh the coaches there um but uh you look at the losses that they had this year they lost to cashmere in week one uh which was uh most of the season was the number one team in the state they lost to LaCenter, who won the district championship. They lost to Clahoya in the last game, who was the number one seed in the tournament. And they lost to Deer Park, who eventually won the championship. I'd say that's four quality losses. Yeah, I'd say. And to go with 17 wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, district championship last year, uh, you know, league championship this year. I think three league championships for this, for this class. One district championship and a fourth place finish. That's uh, a solid foundation to build on. Absolutely. Before we let you go, I mean, you mentioned Fidel a couple of times. Can you talk about what he's meant to the program and building this program? Because it seems like he's kind of the driving force that has turned this into a league, perennial league title contender. Well, yeah, he did it at Hoquiam. I mean, he took those Hoquiam boys teams to the championship tournament uh, a couple of times. I think they finished fourth place there, too. Uh, back when Taj Malone was the goalkeeper, uh, uh, <laughs> good luck scoring yeah. on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he once when it became clear that he was going to be the coach, I know that uh, we as parents were all excited um, uh, that uh, this was this was a guy who who got it and who who had that passion not only for soccer but for Montesano. Um, and he has been he's been he's been a critical. Uh, part of uh, building this team, and uh, I, I think we'll we'll continue to do so. Uh, I think that the coaching for Monty is uh, is good. They were the 
the all-league coaching staff. They actually do that. They have the coaching staff of the year, and Monty's uh, coaching staff got it, I believe, uh, a couple of times that they've got it in the last uh, three, four years. So, yeah, he, he and his staff uh, have, have been – Really solid at you know coming up with different offensive strategies, um, and uh, you know sometimes they'll press the forwards, sometimes they'll press the midfielders. Uh, re- really does a good job of uh, of growing and developing. I think that's the thing there is this is going to be a multi year thing. This isn't one year one class and then they go into a downward spiral for years. I think they've got three four years of cycling players through. The reserves always get to play. The JVs get called up to play, uh, and they get that experience. Sound like another team from Montesano that we know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, and because of that, I think it it, it becomes uh, a cycle of players leaving, but other players coming up and taking their way. And I keep on doing this now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're just on the radio, you can do whatever you want with your hands. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah. But no, it was it, it was a fun year. It was a fun year. And uh, I'll tell you, watching watching the school turn out and uh, uh, bid them farewell. You know, the money send offs that they do watching the people uh, pack the intersection down there at mm-hmm. uh, at, uh, at Maine and Pioneer. And uh, then watching, uh, you know, the school, the band come out, the cheerleaders come out, the entire school empty out. Like, ah, oh, forget about classes. Yeah. We've got Thanksgiving <laughs> coming up anyway. Who cares? <laughs> Go outside and stand out there and then root the team on as they leave. That's it's always neat to see. So it was it was a new kind of awareness of the sport for Montesano. You know, it's a, it, Montesano is a fast pitch and it is a football town. Uh, basketball is big there, but to, to see soccer get its just desserts and uh, to, to get the attention it deserved i think was it was it was a really special few but a few months and for this class it was a pretty special 10 years i don't think that's we great. can i don't think we can i think that's a phenomenal recap yeah. it's better than what daniel and i were doing for the last few weeks going uh monty soccer good <laughs> michaela Jaden. Fourth place. I didn't get to mention schmat tricks, and that's, a, that's, a, that's something that I've taken from you guys here. Is that what? What is that? Is that the four goals? Is yes. that the that's yeah. four goals? Trick, and, yeah. yeah, and you guys just tried to come up with a six goal one of one time. Did you ever succeed? I'm sure that? it was a catastrophe. It probably came up with <laughs> not anywhere near as two out of ten in Airbender trivia. Yes, <laughs> dang it. Well, uh, Ian, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. For I'm really me. glad that we were able to have that recap of what was the most successful season that one of our local teams had in our in our high school sports yep. this season. So yeah. uh, Ian is unfortunately going to leave us during the commercial break, but don't worry because Daniel and I will be back. We've got <laughs> Oli Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week, and uh, we're going to wrap up with the talk that we've been putting off for a really long time. Yep. Yeah, a little daddy ball convo. Commercial break. Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Domashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit domashevitzlaw.com. That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. And we are back. The Scrimmage, Daniel Hargrove, Justin Domashevitz, our producer, Andrew Gross, and we are currently bidding farewell to Ian Cope, who was our special guest that watched me stump Daniel and then gave us a very thorough, solid recap of Monty Girls Soccer fourth place state team. That was awesome. That was awesome. And we're kind of in a dead space for high school sports now, Um, so I'm glad that he was able to come in here and give us some of that. We're going to do... 
a short basketball preview, but before we do that, we're going to do our Ole Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. Um, and this week, largely because there really were no sports that I could find any results from, we have a very deserving Ole Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. It's going to be former Aberdeen Bobcat, current Cincinnati Bearcat, Joel DeBlanco, who had a team-high 10 tackles and a team-high 1.5 sacks in Cincinnati's win over East Carolina on Friday. Um, Huge game for Joel. He currently leads Cincinnati and is 37th in the entire nation in tackles with 99. And that's with, I would like to point out, there was a couple games early in the year when Cincinnati was up by a ton and so they were mixing in some of the younger players. Joel's is, Joel is a super senior. He's in his fifth year. He had that extra COVID eligibility year. That's where he's playing. So he was giving way to some of the younger players to get experience for portions of these games and still has 99 tackles and still is 37th in the nation in tackles. Um, but 1.5 sacks, huge impact for the team. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're wondering what's next for the Bearcats, they are number four, and they will play their conference championship game, the AAC conference championship game, against 24th-ranked Houston. Houston is 11-1 and on the season. Oh, Cincinnati's 12-0, and and Houston's only loss came in week one. So Houston hasn't lost in a really long time. So that should be a pretty good battle for Cincinnati next week. And hopefully one that will finally can't garner some respect, you know, as, yeah. hey, they played a good team. Because, uh, geez, it has been brutal to watch the comments. Oh, doesn't matter. Cincinnati's undefeated. They've only played poop. And it's just like, give me a break, man. Like, yeah. going undefeated in football is hard, even if even if your schedule's not good. Like, to not have one down game is exceptionally hard. And that's why in college football... It always amazes me when a team goes undefeated to the, through that national championship, even though that's almost what you have to do in college football to get to the national championship, which is, to me, it's just brutal, especially if you do play in one of the bigger conferences where there isn't a down game. You yeah. Know? I think also and because... I'm taking the SEC out of it because, again, Vanderbilt is always a down game. It's true. <laughs> and there's multiple teams in that conference that are just yeah. terrible. That's true. And I think also because... I think Cincinnati... But they know they're in the SEC, though. Oh, so they're good. Right? Yeah. Cincinnati, throughout the course of the year, has not gotten the credit for the Notre Dame win at Notre Dame the yeah. way they should have because the way Notre Dame started was winning one-score games over bad teams. So people were looking at Notre Dame going, oh, this is a down year. They may not be that good. Well, they've totally turned their season around since the Cincinnati loss. Like, I mean, obviously they're... That's their only loss, so it's not like they had something huge to turn around. But they were playing close games and eking out wins over bad teams, and now all of a sudden they're crushing everybody. So I think Cincinnati needs to get more credit for winning a game at Notre Dame, which is a top 10 ranked team. Absolutely. Yeah. And a team that only has one loss. Yeah. To To Cincinnati. Cincinnati. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, congratulations to Joel DeBlanco for being our Ole Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week. Uh, another local update, kind of. Well, used to be local. Adam Big Hill finished the regular season with 70 defensive tackles, which was the top for his team, and ninth in the CFL. 
Big Hill also had two sacks, two interceptions, two fumble recoveries, and a defensive touchdown. Adams Blue Bombers will have a break until December 5th when they play host to the West Division title game. So I'm assuming they had the bye, and now yep. they're waiting yep. to see who they're going to be playing. Yeah, they were the number one team in the West. And the way it works in the CFL, because the divisions are so small, um, they just have the two seed out of the West plays the three seed, and then whoever wins that plays the top seed. Winnipeg was the top seed, so they got that first round bye. And if they win their game, they'll be in the Grey Cup championship game. So, And I think... I want to say, don't quote me on this, but I think I saw something on social media last week that Adam Big Hill was named most outstanding defensive player of his team. So I think that was kind of a team award, but it was you know posted out on Facebook and Twitter as official most outstanding defensive player for the Winnipeg Blue yeah. Bombers. And we love Adam, so any updates we get about Adam, we will definitely pass them along. For sure. And you know, maybe we'll have a chance to watch him in another Grey Cup. Yeah, because he's already got two Grey Cup titles. He's got two titles. Yeah, has well, he been to another one and lost? I don't or think is so. This, so he's, is he undefeated? I'm not sure, <laughs> but I was thinking as you guys were talking about Montesano soccer, is this the best that the Montesano that Montesano soccer has been? I mean, I know it's the girls' team now, but is it the best that Montesano soccer has been since Adam was here playing for the boys? Because I know they I'm were not, really good then. I'm not sure if they I ever made heard it a even, lot about them. I, I heard a lot about them because of Adam. I'm not even sure. I know they didn't make it to the final four. Okay, they didn't make it that far. Yeah. So right on. So I don't think because I mean well, we were talking talking with is... another friend that we have that played on some of those soccer teams. I'm pretty sure they always got knocked out by La Center, and that would have been that would have been more in like the district ranks. I think. Okay. But I'm not positive on that. We'll have to. We'll have to have Jay ask Jake about that. He would know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you should. You should text him right now. I'm not going to text him right no. now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can move on to our basketball preview. Yeah. It's going to be short and quick. Yeah. But we've it's... got we got a little bit of info about some of these local basketball teams. Yeah. So mostly this is just a preview of like the games that I'm going to be covering this year, and I'm actually <laughs> really excited about this this schedule that. That I was able to come up with, and Justin, right off the bat, um, the first week of the season, Friday, December 3rd, if you can't make it to this game, you should be listening, because it's going to be the Monty Girls. I won't be there. You're not coming? I told no. you, just tell Peyton. <laughs> this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Just tell Peyton, I'm going to miss your first varsity <laughs> basketball game, because I want to watch a girl I've never met. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a division one commit player it's a big deal it is yeah yeah so it's raymond at montesano girls basketball kyra kira i've heard it both ways i'm gonna say kyra (laughs) you're gonna find out i think i'm the only one who said kira (laughs) hopefully i find out before the game yeah i'll find out before the game yeah at some point you're gonna have to track her down and talk to her right yeah oh of course okay be like hey We've talked about you constantly. Is that weird? Probably. <laughs> She'll be like, I'm sorry, who are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's that's the first game of the year. I'm really excited about that. And then Montesano's girls, I love their schedule because non-conference, they are, they are playing some tough teams. They're playing Kings mm-hmm. in the next game I'm going to be covering on December 7th. So two tough games right out the bat for a Monty girls team that has... 
definitely shown to be a state contender yeah. for the last like what seven eight years mm-hmm. and they have another solid team this year even after losing one of my favorite players to graduation in zoe leisherness yeah and they should be really good they lost zoe leisherness but they do still have Paige leisherness and she was the league mvp last year so they'll have her returning um also, McKinley Dalen has been really good for them. I think she's a junior this year. Yeah, and she's back from injury. From she's injury. Had injury yeah. problems the last couple of years. But I'm really excited right. and hoping that she can get a full healthy season in this year. Right. And since we were just talking about soccer, we've already mentioned Michaela Stanfield. But Michaela, as a freshman last year, was really coming on at the end of the year. And I feel like she should have a pretty big impact on the team as well. Yeah. Uh, and just a, their defense is just ridiculous, yeah. usually. So that's something I'm excited about. Uh, head coach Mark Mansfield has an excellent squad to go with there, so we'll see how far that he can take him on that. And then the next game, uh, December 16th, that is Myrtle Street Rivalry Week. So both Thursday and Friday, the 16th and the 17th, going to be covering Hoquiam and Aberdeen boys and girls. And this is... And a Hoquiam team that, I don't know, maybe I'm I'm hoping I'm not a little too excited about, but the progress <laughs> I saw them make last year under their new head coach, Kyle Bloomberg, really got me excited. So I'm really excited to see what Bloomberg can do. Also, what um, Michael Watkins, Lorton, or Lorton Watkins, that, I forgot his name for a second, but mm-hmm. also he broke out as one of the top scorers in the league last year. And so I'm excited to see what he can do as a junior because he was just a sophomore last year when he broke out. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. And then you look over on the girls' side, and uh, both Aberdeen and Hoquiam have kind of been in rebuilding mode. And it seems like they're starting to get to that point where they have age groups that they've been able to work with since they've been a lot younger. And it seems like in basketball programs – Unless you just have ridiculous talent to start out with, it almost you almost have to get down to the ground with the youth programs and build it up from there. And I think that both Rachel Wenzel and Chad Allen have been doing a good job, even working together at some points, mm-hmm. of getting youth basketball back into Grace Harbor and trying to build it up from there. And I think you're going to see it this year with, with both those teams. And I'm just really excited that Chad Allen's back with Hoquiam yeah. because he was a Hoquiam girls coach before and they had a, a good amount of consistent success there. And then he went and coached Grays Harbor College women's basketball and led them to an NWAC title one season. And uh, now he's back in Hoquiam coaching girls basketball. And Chad's just a great dude and a really good basketball mm-hmm. coach. And like you were mentioning those feeder programs, like the programs that get kids playing before high school age is something that not only is really important to him, but it's a great skill he has in getting these players to develop before they get into high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Rachel Wenzel has done a great job for Aberdeen as well. Mm-hmm. She has been a revelation to that basketball program. Um, then you look into the future a little bit more. I've got Elma games as well. Um, and we're going to see new with Elma, both new with Elma and Montesano boys this year, Justin, with head coaching changes. Um, we just found out that Matt Ferrier is the head coach for Elma basketball. I was a little, I was really curious to see what they were going to come up with for that head coaching position. Everything I've heard, they should be excited about Matt Ferrier. He's a former Eagle, played for some great teams, state championship teams back in the day has coaching experience and seems like he's going to be a great fit and Elma alum coming back. I mean, if you didn't know about their girls program, they also have an Elma alum 
coaching the girls program as well in Brandy Thomas. So two people that really care about Elma basketball are there coaching right now. And so when you get that kind of passion inserted in, usually it can lead to great things because it, I don't know, it's just that little bit of incentive. I'm not saying that any coach who goes in there isn't going to also be excited, but there's just a little added something when you can go back and coach your alma mater. Yeah, and hopefully for Ferrier, he can build off of some of the progress that was made under Jeff Neme. Mm-hmm. Um, Neme, I felt like, had really helped the team go from, the program go from something that was kind of a bottom dweller and really build it up over the course of a few years into yeah. a real competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully Ferrier will be able to build from that. And you mentioned Monty Boys basketball as well. Um, it is an incredibly young team. The only senior on the varsity roster is going to be Caden Lovell. There's a handful of juniors, but most of them either played primarily JV last year or missed a lot of the season with an injury. The only two players that I can say confidently that you will know these players from last year are Caden Lovell and Trent Adams. Um, besides that, it's a mix of you know guys like Tice Peterson. Sophomore Tice Peterson will mix in quite a bit. He played a lot of varsity minutes last year. Soren Cobb, who's about six foot eight, another sophomore that we'll see a lot of time. Um, and really one, two, three, four, five, six sophomores that are going to be on this regular varsity roster that are probably all going to be seeing some minutes in varsity action. So maybe a rebuilding year for Monty. Very, very young. Also, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what Caden Lovell can do because when he was healthy last year, he was excellent. Yeah. And also, I mean, even though they're sophomores, the size of that sophomore class is yeah. just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, you got a six eight in six seven six eight in Soren. Um, Tice is about six foot, and he plays like a wing or a guard. Uh, Camden and Taylor is about six three. Gabe Bodwell is about six four. That's your sophomore class. They also have another sophomore who's about six four that isn't playing basketball this year, but may come back in the future. The the height on that and the size because those are all big kids too. Yeah. Um, that they're going to be a force to rec- to be reckoned with on the inside for years to come. Yeah, it almost sounds like the junior class for Aberdeen when you look at their football team. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what that sophomore class for Monty reminds me of. And that uh, there's a decent amount of basketball players in that class for Aberdeen now too for Mark Buckman mm-hmm. to be able to get and hopefully mold into a playoff team there for the Aberdeen boys squad as well. But there's a couple of classes right now in uh, Monty boys for that sophomore class, just the numbers you saw. And, I mean, in football this year, how much of them started to become real contributors throughout this season as sophomores was impressive. But then you look at the Aberdeen boys team. I'm excited about their squad this year and see what uh, Coach Buckman can do with that team as well. Kind of a mini breakdown. I wasn't able to get as much information, or I didn't. You know, I'm going to claim new dad title on this one. You got and, mommy brain. And holiday and <laughs> holiday week. Right, and, mommy brain. Yeah, so both of those <laughs> things uh, led to me not being able to dig in as much as I wanted to for it's the reasonable. high school basketball preview. But um, the first week, the first couple of weeks always bring so much into what's going to happen the rest of the way. And so I'm really excited to, uh, at the beginning, cover some tough Monty Girls matchups and just looking at the teams that I'm covering, I would say if I had to pick a favorite to get into the state tournament, it would be that Monty Girls team because, I mean, they're just loaded defensively. And then you add the scoring of Paige Leishness and McKinley Dalen to that. And I think mm-hmm. they're going to be really tough to beat. Agreed. Yeah, I would say the teams that I've kind of, that we've we've discussed that I would say pinpointed as 
long-term competitive like district tournaments and whatnot is probably Monty Girls and Hoquiam Boys. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably where um, the most returning talent is. But, you know, it's basketball season. We'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, it's it's always going to be weird. And then when you get into the district tournament, a lot of these teams have size. I don't know what it is about boys basketball around this area, but mm-hmm. it seems like, I mean, besides Soren Cobb, it doesn't feel like we have any giant basketball players. It's been a while, yeah. too, since we had any, like, really tall players. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe Maybe that'll change. And I wondered if it was most people, but then I saw some like B tournament players, like Mossy Rock and Morton White Pass that just had some monsters down there. And I'm like, man, it's a good thing Hope Williams not playing these teams. They they're like six eight six eight yeah. six five. Yeah. Anyway, that's total sidetrack. Uh, we're gonna take a commercial break, get into the mailbag, and uh, question we've been dodging for a long time. Coming up next. At Olipan Real Estate, we have solidified our foundation on four core values. First, we continuously focus on growing our knowledge in the market and in our practices to bring the highest level of competency to our clients. Second, we provide a high level of integrity, compassion, and kindness in every aspect of our business. Third, we put the human element above business through humor, enthusiasm, and patience. And last but not least, we proactively respond to the needs of our clients. Our mission is to create a personal real estate experience, one person and one home at a time. With Olipin, it's personal. How do you do three? When I I hold up three fingers, I go like this. You go like this. See, I'm, I'm, I don't do, I'm. I feel like this is normal. The pink, you hold the pinky down. Or you do like an okay sign. I think the okay is normal for three, right? Three. How do I you think do it? I learned to do it like this. With the pinky down? With the pinky down. So Andrew, but I do it like this because it's easier. See, but then when I when I do it, like the way Andrew was doing it is like, okay. I feel like I, I kind of hold my index finger down below my thumb and kind of do this. That's weird. So I got the oh, pinky finger, sense. the ring finger, the middle so finger So not up. so much like the okay sign. Right. But, like this. but yeah, yeah, like that. So but I Daniel, like, you're holding the ring finger down? Yeah. So the reason why I do this is, so how do you do two? Two. Yeah, index and middle. You do two like bunny ears? Oh, that's the baseball thing, it's, isn't it? It's the baseball yeah, it's thing. Two. Oh, when two I'm playing... Way. No, you're right. Yeah, when you I'm playing go, softball, I go pinky and index yeah, finger. You never go two That's outs. a good point. And so for me, that since I yeah. fully engulfed myself in baseball so much, it's always one, two, three. Okay. And I don't know why we ever did three, because you never need to tell people that there's three outs. You're out. It was, it was just kind of what I did. <laughs> that is interesting. That is interesting, because I think I do it differently in softball and in regular life. I think if I'm holding up two outs, I go pinky and index yeah, finger. But outs. if I'm hold, ever telling anybody, no, two minutes, I go index finger and middle finger. Yeah. That's weird. So, Daniel, what's third down? Third down? Okay. I, don't, like, I just wanted down. to see if you'd come up with something different. You'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe not. Do you, when yeah. you do the three, do you go hand forward or hand backward? Oh, if I did it like that? Yeah. If I did it like that, I would think backward. Yeah, because I, I think this, this is, is my normal. Weird. Like I'm holding, like I said, it's kind of like the okay, but I pin my <laughs> index finger down behind my thumb yeah. and I do it backwards. So people are seeing the back of my hand. Middle finger, Our, ring is, finger. See, everybody's got to be confused about why we're talking about numbers right now. But it was because during the commercial, he said they have four core values. So we're like, Signing the numbers to yeah. to each other. This is a really interesting conversation. So fascinating. I'm glad we're having it. Yeah. About, Let's talk about the Mariners trade. How do you do five? Do you use the thumb? Or do you have to... <laughs> I do three on one hand, two on the other. There you go. <laughs> 
So just real quick about the Mariners. They did make a trade. They bring in all... I mean, it's kind of weird to say just real quick. It's just a little update when they traded for an all-star second baseman. But yet... Caitlin, my sister, wants to know what about these three. Ooh, middle finger, index finger, thumb. I think she might be a psycho. But how do you hold... Okay, so how do you hold down... Is it just you have to have enough coordination in your hand that you can hold down the pinky and the ring finger without... Yeah. So I think when I'm holding that up, my pinky's trying to come up. Wow. You know, I have weird things with fingers about which ones I can hold down and up, but that's not one, as I almost yanked the headphones off the table, (laughs) that's not one that I have trouble with. But I could see that, like, yeah, your fingers were shaking while you are doing it. Yeah, it's hard for me. Weird. Oh, you can do the Spock sign, though. Yeah. Maybe that's how you should do two. Two outs, guys. (laughs) Two outs. (laughs) Two outs. Two I'm struggling with the Spock sign on my right hand, too. Weird. Anyway, so... (laughs) I think I have better dexterity on my. My left wife hand says that's the right. correct way to do it in sign language. So apparently, what is Spock hands? Uh, I think she's talking about thumb yeah. index and middle finger. Oh. So this is three in sign language. Apparently, oh. I would be bad at sign language because my pinky's still trying to come up. Yeah, that one's straight. That's I, I know. Weird looking. Yeah. <laughs> do you have trigger finger? <laughs> so anyway, Mariners trade. Yeah, they traded for an all star, and yet everybody's like, eh. an all star second baseman. Yeah, an all star second baseman. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> It's Adam Frazier. It's somebody they wanted to get at the deadline. And to me... Why didn't they get him at the deadline? I didn't recognize the names that they gave away. Is that it, bad? That's, no, that's good. That's good. Well, I'm Yeah, but I meant like I didn't recognize them. Should I have recognized no. them? Okay. okay I good. didn't recognize them either. So <laughs> that's good that, they, that you didn't get yeah. rid of any prospects that you were like trying to keep. The weird thing about this is it was the second baseman. Seemingly the one they wanted all the time. And yet, how much did we hear about Abraham Toro? And, oh, we want this guy. Toro, Toro, Toro. Where's Toro going to play now? Third? Well, well, hopefully not a this, lot, right? Yeah, according to this report, or according to everything we're hearing, is they still want a third baseman real bad. Like, they want a big bat to insert in the lineup. Is one of those guys going to play first? So that Maybe. would that would put Toro back but, in the spot that he was in before right which was not playing which was not playing back like not not been not able to get past the guys in front of him yeah so So, yeah but wouldn't that kind of like if if it ends up that they get it somebody to play third let's just say trevor story just purely for example you have trevor seeger you have yeah okay (laughs) somebody somebody literally said i saw one of the fan comments on this story was like oh now if we just get story or seeger and i was like (laughs) <laughs> do you really think that Kyle Seeger, who's leaving because he hates DePoto so much, is going to be like, yeah, bro, go to the Mariners. And Corey's going to be like, hey, man, you know, I think I'm going to go to Seattle. Yeah. No. I don't think Corey Seeger is going to have any shortage of options. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but let's say, for example, it's Story. That would be the most okay. So then you have Story <laughs> at third, Crawford at short, uh-huh. Frazier at second. Toro and- at first? No, you got Ty France at first. Well, France can DH. No. Well, maybe. Maybe. Or Toro, Toro DH? Toro at DH? He was, wait, he was, did, he, did he drop off hitting as well? Because I know he struggled in the field. He, I mean, he never really dropped off, dropped off. Like, okay. he, he, he dropped off because he had such a hot start. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But it never got bad. Okay. So he could, he could be potentially be looking at DH spot yeah, then. Maybe, maybe they, but the thing is, is he... And Adam Frazier can play outfield too, and everybody's like, oh, he's got great versatility. And I'm like, 
Yeah, but we're kind of stocked full of outfielders. And like, he's an all-star second base. Exactly. Like, yeah. So, let's put it this way. If they end up with a Toro who's just never playing, I'm going to be again upset at all of the freaking rhetoric that we heard out of that organization that didn't turn out to be true. Like, while I kind of like the moves they're making in the gener... Like, I, I you just be honest and be like, well, we didn't get Adam Frazier. Toro was our second bet. And that's why we went and traded, but like the whole, this is the guy. And then the next off season, the very next off season, you go and find somebody who also plays that position. Like that seems a little weird, right? Yeah. I think it's fair to not like a move a lot and still not like, you don't have to be saying like, we're not, you're not saying DePoto's a failure. Okay. Like this is over. You, like you're yeah. not saying that. But that move was badly timed. <laughs> of course you will. That move was badly timed. And in retrospect, especially as we're seeing now, it's looking more and more like it wasn't a good move. Yeah. That doesn't... To me, it's okay for... Like, I don't have to think DePoto makes every move that's amazing. That's true. Especially if the overall direction of the club is good. I still can hate that. True. And, and the rhetoric that I'm saying... He should definitely have that rhetoric. He's trying to spin everything, like, perfectly, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm saying the rhetoric of all of the people who are supposed to be covering the team. <laughs> having you. that. Yeah. That's your job, Daniel. Well, those people just walk hold around those people accountable. behind Jerry DePoto on their knees so they can kiss his butt. Yes. <laughs> Did you get that straight from Kyle Seeger? <laughs> <laughs> I made it up. <laughs> on the spot. An unnamed source. All right. I, that's enough about the Mariners. I'm, we're all still hoping that there's going to be another big move there, but we shall see. Yeah. So now it is time to sideswipe Mariano Rivera. I don't know. I can't think of a way to actually do it. You. <laughs> I've been trying to work it in organically. I know. And it didn't happen. But I think since we've done such a good job of working it in the last few weeks, let's just say it. Yeah. Mariano Rivera sucks. Yeah. <laughs> He's the most overrated player oh, yeah, the most overrated. in the history of all sports. All sports. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He was a terrible starting pitcher. And the second most overrated... Yeah, that's true. The second most <laughs> overrated might be his former teammate, Derek Jeter. Yeah, who didn't deserve any Gold Glove Awards, according yep. to Carlos Correa. Yep. Wow. I think it's fair to say that any Yankee is going is to be a potential... For being overrated. Yeah, for, for being very overrated. Yeah. Oh, like completely not joking. No, that's yeah. like yeah. that's yeah. And probably any Laker, Yankee, yeah. Cowboy, Cowboy, and and go. I was I, I do kind of like Cowboys Tony Tony there. Romo even as a player. I kind of liked him, but I did, got got definitely got overrated. Really? Yeah. I think he was underrated and underappreciated. I uh, saw a fan theory this week that pointed out that Tony Romo always, what, who is his, uh, Jason Garrett, always had Jason Garrett either as his coordinator or as his coach. And now that we know how bad Jason Garrett is at coaching, that perhaps, perhaps Tony Romo was actually a lot better than we realized. Wow. Yeah. There was a huge Reddit post about it. Interesting. It was like full off season form and <laughs> season's not even over yet. Reddit is a horribly it, negative place. It, it so, might it depends on where you go. You got to you got to pick your spots. Okay. I would say a lot of it you are absolutely correct. It's time for the mailbag. The, oh. <laughs> the mailbag. <laughs> yes, send the mailbag. Stuff. 
Send us your stuff in a mailbag. That, that's entirely my fault. I forgot that this upcoming subject was in the mailbag. I was just expecting that to happen before the mailbag. That was me. No, that was that all me. So this question from the Godfather Please. has been sitting in our show sheet for a few months. At with, least. Yeah. With a blue highlight. Yep. Yeah, this is one of those ones that I we all have good opi- we all have opinions on, but I've been putting it off because it's kind of a touchy subject in some ways and also I don't want to say something wrong. So, Daniel... Is this the first time in your life you've worried about saying something wrong? Yeah, right. <laughs> I worry about it. It just doesn't stop me most of the time. Daniel, how big of a problem is daddy ball in youth and high school sports? Well, okay. So, let's start out by saying that defining what daddy ball is. Because okay. when I teased this at the end of our last show, yeah. my brother was like, what's daddy ball? Yeah. So, as we all know... Lots of times parents are coaches. And there's nothing wrong with parents being coaches. It's, it's, it's mandatory kind of at necess- younger le- levels. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have parents who are involved. The What daddy ball is, is when the kids of the coaches are getting special treatment. Right? Yep. That's, that's the issue that we're talking about here, right? Um, whether you think... That kid's not as good as another kid, and yet, like, like say my son is playing shortstop, even though, let's be honest, he should be in right field. <laughs> That's an extreme example. That's an extreme example. <laughs> yeah, but I but think yeah. we've all seen it, right, at different points. And there's, and then on the other side, because I think that this can also bring up issues. Not usually an issue of daddy ball, but sometimes you get. Parents of the kids who should be playing shortstop and hitting third, and yet they're maybe worried about it, so their kid's playing right field and hitting last. And oh, because like, they're oh. talking to the coach and being like, "Hey, I don't want him playing there; it's too dangerous." That's no, sort of no, player. like coaches no. have such an aversion. Oh, to I got you. Ball, oh, oh yes, absolutely. Yes. Then the coach's kid, but the coach is really worried and. And super hard on his kid, so his kid is doing extra running after because his dad got mad at him because he booted a ball in outfield where he's playing, even yes. though he could probably be playing in shortstop. Yes, yeah, and, and I guess that the definitely position, happens also. The position switch is a little extreme with that. Yeah, but yeah, second kid, base instead of but you know, or the something. kid who's like, if if my kid is good, or you know, I'm treating him so much worse, worse or harder than all of the other kids because. A, I'm worried about doing daddy ball. But I think that's the kind of the issues. And I think that, you know what, in youth sports, like we said, you need parents who are involved. I think at all levels, you need parents who are involved. But, but at least in in school sports, yeah, there are paid positions. That's, so you can get people to do those jobs without having the investment of a child on the team. It, exactly. And yeah. that's that's where it kind of comes into. Because I think that, yes, you're going to run into it at all levels. At least high school and below. It's rare to see a college coach with a kid on the team. But you see it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you're going to run into it at all levels. And yes, every now and then you're going to have people who you're like, man, your kid's... I mean, he's a nice kid, but he's really not good. Why are you putting him at the best positions? And that's going to happen. But when you get into school ball, is it seem like there's kind of a coaching shortage, maybe, that you have to rely on parents so much? And then that brings that 
that makes that start happening more and more at higher levels. Is that a coaching shortage thing, kind of like how we're seeing an official shortage? It could be. And and I don't know. Have we seen it happen? A thought that I was having in thinking about this whole issue is that the, the actual question that we have is how big of a problem is daddy ball. And it's, it's an issue because if a kid, if a guy enjoyed anyone who coaches, I'm not going to say 90% of people, 99% of people who coach, if they have kids, their kids are going to want to play sports also. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to end up being involved in coaching their kids at some point. So it's, it's an issue. It's even the only way you can never, ever confront this issue on a personal level and be involved in sports is to not have kids. Mm. Like it's always, it's whether you, maybe you are so worried that you can't deal with it so that you have to be like, Hey, I can't coach these teams these years, even though I would normally, Mm. If you're a co- I'm saying if you're a coach, if you're a professional coach, if you have kids, at some point you're going to have to make the decision, I can't coach this team or or you're going to have to be coaching your kid saying, well, this is how we're going to do this. Like yeah. I need I may so so I just thought it was it is it's not just like a oh, it's not as simple as oh, just don't ha- let parents coach their kids in you know in high school or whatever like it's it can't be because the best coaches are still gonna have kids and they're gonna yeah a lot of those kids are gonna come up playing those sports and a lot of those kids are gonna be pretty darn good a lot of them are gonna be really good and and so that's genetics that's the (laughs) other part about it is just because they're the coach's kid doesn't mean they're playing too much yeah you know, and that's and that's where it gets, it becomes a, a pro, like a uh, not but, a problem like a thing that hurts the game, but a problem like something that's difficult to solve. Like it's there's not an easy solution, uh, other than well, there isn't an easy solution. I to me, the answer is to be aware of it, and as a parent, and not not just as as a parent. In supporting the coaches of your kids, being aware of, hey, this is something that is influencing the way I'm viewing the game. This is something that's influencing how the coach is viewing the game. And as coaches, being extra aware that this is something that is influencing how I'm seeing the game. And yeah. and it's it's also an easy target for parents. Now, Justin, yeah. as he usually does, as the only person who's actually been in this position, is staying quiet and letting us morons blabber back and forth <laughs> about it. But before, I'm, I'm in the perfect position here, <laughs> having no children. Yeah. Before I force Justin to speak on this, I, it's the easiest target of parents who are grumpy about their kid not playing, right? Oh, your kid, your kid is playing as the coach, you know, or oh, that kid's dad is the coach or a coach. So that's the easiest target of like parent to be like that's why my kid's not playing right i feel like that's kind of the easiest target like oh my kid's not playing because this kid's coach is the dad but that is also not always the case i would probably say rarely the case from personal experience i have been accused of favoring my kid ahead of someone else's kid (laughs) you don't have kids yes that was pointed out to the person 
that, that happened that happened when i was coaching middle school and there was it was just a, a kid but it, uh you know our our kid wasn't isn't playing enough because so the, the his coaches were playing their kids and neither of his position coaches had children that were playing okay. and we were like mm, that one's easy to dismiss at least yeah for sure <laughs> justin having gone through this <laughs> having had teams that your son has played on both with other people coaching their kids mm-hmm. and then you also coaching your kids mm-hmm. How do you walk the line? Because first of all, I want to know how you walk the line of not going daddy ball. So not playing your kid, you know, batting him lead off and having him play shortstop or, you know, something to that equivalent. Or, and yet also not being too hard on your kid to try and prove that, oh, my kid's not getting special treatment. Look, he's running over there by himself. Mm-hmm. Terrible kid. You know, because I think it is a fine line to walk. You it know, is. There, it is there's ahead. something else there. That can still backfire. You can still get, well, yeah, of course your kid's better because he's getting extra coaching <laughs> and you're harder on him and holding him to a higher standard. Like that is, that really wow. can backfire. I never heard, I never thought about that one. Yeah. I've actually seen that before. Yeah. That's real. Wow. Um, because every parent has a different idea of how their specific child should be coached. My goal always, which I think is probably the goal of 99% of the people I've ever coached with or against, is I want to treat my child exactly like every other child. The problem is, there's there's two big issues with that. One is, you're dealing with parent perception and child perception, and people are predisposed to think that unfair things are happening to their child or themselves. That's just sort of the way it is. I've had the benefit of having a lot of really great parents and a lot of teams that were, I haven't had huge issues with this. I've had a few minor ones, um, but not huge ones. I also think because my experience coaching was all through youth sports and at least for me, whenever I managed a team um, with the exception of the all-star team that I managed, I was never managing to score or win. I wanted to win and I wanted to teach the kids to be competitive but it was much more about learning, developing, and having fun. So I had a general policy in baseball that everybody's going to play at least one inning in the infield every game. And in the I, infield? In the infield. Wow. Every game. Everybody plays at least one inning in the infield every game. And I asked the kids at the beginning of the season, who's interested in pitching, who's interested in catching? And I tried really hard to make sure that at some point throughout the season – Every kid that wanted to got a chance to pitch, and every kid that wanted to got a chance to catch. I wanted to give them opportunities because one thing I have felt is that occasionally kids don't get chances to do things that they want to do, and then sometimes when you stick them in that spot, it's like, oh my gosh, how come we didn't do this from the beginning? So it was always my goal, and I can't say I was always successful at it, but it was always my goal to, number one, treat my kids the same as everybody else, and number two, give everybody opportunities to do what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in youth sports, daddy ball is kind of just an inevitable hard truth. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a lot of people who want to coach teams because it's hard. It's a grind and you have to deal with a lot of different stuff and it's a demanding schedule. So you're not going to get a lot of people who don't have kids on teams to do that. To me, when you get into school sports, high school for sure, at a lower level junior high, parents coaching should be avoided at all costs. 
Um, it's a different scenario if you have an established coach who was there before and their kid grows up and grows through the program. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that be successful. I, I feel like the the first thing that always comes to my mind is Matthew Jensen and Terry Jensen. They went well, they won a state title yeah. Matthew's senior year. Yeah. There could have been grumblings behind the scenes. I, I didn't hear any of it. Yeah. I don't know of any big issues that came up with that. Um, but the thing I think becomes a problem is when you have parents who you, you go through the natural progression with your child. You coach them through all these levels. When those coaches grow into the junior high and high school ranks with the kids, that's the kind of stuff that creates a lot of issues. Because now you have a new coach who's not established coming in and there's all this perceived favoritism. And then what ends up happening in a lot of these scenarios too is like the guys who have been coaching against each other or with each other have issues with each other and with kids playing time and stuff like that. And then you can also end up with the opposite effect of, of the favoritism. Like I know of one scenario in particular where it was like, I'm not making any decision with my kid. So I'm a coach on this team but if you want my kid to start here, head coach decides that, not me. Because they're trying to dissolve themselves of any any wrongdoing. Like, mm-hmm. we don't want any perception that my child is being favored by me because I'm a coach. Yeah. But people don't always know the inner workings of that. Most and of I the think, time they don't. Yeah. Exactly. So, just from what I've observed over the last several years, I think... If you have an established coach with a program who's been with the program, it is reasonable to think that that their child can come into the program, be coached through the program, and everything should be fine. Mm-hmm. If you have parents who are going up through the levels with their kids and then trying to coach in high school sports, they should be hired as coaches only if there's no other option. Yeah. And sometimes there is no other option. Sure. Sometimes there is no other school staff member or other qualified person to come in and take those roles. And so people end up in those roles. But if it were me and I were running a program, I would avoid that at all costs because not only is it a public perception issue, but you're also putting those people in a very difficult scenario that they don't always know how hard it's going to be until the crap hits the fan. Mm-hmm. And those situations can get really ugly. Yeah. I've been of the general opinion for several years that parents ruin high school sports. Usually, they ruin it from the outside by doing one of two things. Putting a bunch of stupid ideas in their kids' heads about what should be happening. Mm-hmm. Or getting together with their the other parents and talking about all this stuff that is going on in their perception and you get clicks and groups of parents and grades of parents that cause huge issues in these programs. So for me, I'm, I would be of the opinion that in general, the less parental involvement you have once the kids are in high school sports, the better. In involvement in the politics of how exactly. the team is run. Because exactly. you want parental involvement in support. No, you want them to support them. You want them to encourage their kids to practice and spend extra time on it, and you know, be invested in driving them to and from stuff. And the ed- and the education side. Exactly. Like, you want yeah. parents to be really involved. In even the support of coaching, their kid. though. Like I feel like even if you know, like, anchor grows up, yeah. and is playing high school baseball. 
my suggestion would be, unless you're already coaching high school baseball, which could totally happen by then, don't don't talk to his coaches before you before you coach him because you could even mess if you're if you're teaching him to throw a certain way and you're like, hey, I don't want you throwing the, your pitch like that. You need that. That's between him and his coach now. You know, oh, and that and that's gonna be like that's that's where it comes dude, in. That's you just hard. Made me cringe so yeah. much because. Maybe I, I value my baseball knowledge more than I should. Well, I don't. But I could get, like, that's when you have some real meaningful arguments when yeah. you're like, hey, your coach is telling you to do this. That's going to hurt your arm. Yeah. And that's where, and that's where it's, it's, that's where it's difficult because that, that's a situation where it could very honestly, if you have to trust your, your coach, like you have to trust the coach and, that he's I, playing with. And yet I, that's when Justin was talking about this. Uh, when you were saying clicks or or kids, mm-hmm. parents telling their kids something or getting together with other parents, I think all of this stems from if you have a problem with someone, you need to talk to that person first. Yeah. And I guess that what? happens. Not be passive aggressive? And I guess that happens too. And that also is kind of brutal for coaches too. I, I've talked to different coaches that I really respect. And I think the most overwhelming thing I hear is coaching is awesome and coaching the kids is awesome, and parents and the politics make it almost unbearable. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you not heard that like multiple oh, times from yeah, coaches? That's true. Like it's they love true. coaching and they love the kids, but gosh darn it, the parents make it impossible. I have told kids who played baseball for me, um, "No, go tell your dad that I want you to do it this way." Yeah. Well, like while while you're playing for me and I'm coaching you, I want you to do it this way. I will verify first that I'm right. Yeah. Because I'm not <laughs> going to be the person who's just pretending that I I know everything. Yeah. But you know when it comes to pitching, hitting, there's a ton of intricacies, and I've had kids I try to correct them on something, and they'll say, "Well, no, so and so told me to do it this way." And I've told kids, well, while you're playing for me, you're going to do it the way yeah. I tell you to. And, and I, I want you to do it this way. And I brought up the extreme thing of, oh, you could hurt your arm. Yeah. That's kind of extreme because then let's say there is a coach that is telling you to do something that could hurt your arm. That's hopefully your coach would be like if you could present it and be like, look, this is the research I've done. You know, you could, you should do that in a very controlled manner, like yeah, hey, and then have, give them the chance to be like, oh, that's not here's the research that I've done and support it. But like, especially if it's like, oh no, my dad tells me that I need to chop wood and swing like straight down, and you're like, no, while you're playing for me, let's keep that swing level. You know, it'll work. You don't have to swing straight into the ground to keep from popping up. Then, then that's totally. And I now I'm thinking like just bringing in the Andrew you freaked me out with with that question because Sorry. now I'm like I'm going to be one of those terrible parents. Just coach. The I don't team. think that you yeah, will just be coach the team because I I believe that you will not be a terrible parent because I think that you have the self awareness to realize that you need to go talk to the coach and be like, look, I have these concerns about, and you're coming at it from a baseball standpoint where maybe they're a terrible coach and they're but most likely. You're going to be able to be like, oh, well, this is what I'm, you know. Yeah. I think the other thing that can't be left out of this conversation is that there are dads out there who have a relentless pursuit of their children getting everything preferential regardless of who they step on. So this is an issue, not just because 
parents perceive it as an issue and it's not a real issue. It's a real issue. Yeah. There are people who I know of who are like that. Yeah. Like, I don't care how this affects anyone else. I want my kid to get these opportunities. My kid's the best. He should be doing this. He should be doing that. Sometimes those people are parents on the outside. Sometimes they're coaches on the staff. Yep. Yep. And it creates an insane amount of infighting yes. between coaches who are trying to do their job properly and someone who only cares about what happens best with their child. Yeah. Especially and, when that kid is pretty... It's it's a lot easier to dismiss that when it's like, yeah, no, your kid isn't that good. Get out yeah. of here. When the kid is good, mm-hmm. then you're like, but we can't play him every. But yeah. but also, like, coaching is all about trying to put the pieces together. Yes, You're trying to put puzzle absolutely. pieces in, together in the most functional way. Yeah. So sometimes what you need out of somebody might not be what they want to do or what their parent wants them to do. Or even what they're best at. Yeah, exactly. They might be second best at that, but yeah. you have somebody who's best at that spot compared to the two. Like, I was the best second baseman on my team. But it was better for me to play shortstop on my team because that was where they needed me. That's not where I was the best at. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's kind of a crappy comparison because shortstop's generally viewed as the better position you should want to play. And I was very honored to play there, but I was not. that was not my best spot. Or I guess maybe a better comparison was like, this kid's best position is shortstop. But we have another shortstop who's really good and we don't have a center fielder. Yeah. So I always bring things. Yeah, this gets fast. I I realize I'm bringing everything to baseball. No, but 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 that's true. That's I think maybe true in baseball almost more than any other sport because I've been involved in coaching all-star teams where there's a kid who you know you got an all-star team together, so these kids are all shortstops. Yep. You know, there's a kid who really wants to play first base. Well, you you can also play center field and you're good at it. And we have another kid who's done nothing but play first base all year. So I want to put you in center field and this kid play first base. And sometimes the buy-in for the dad is harder than the buy-in for the kid. Yes. And I know from, from my own experience of coaching my son through his, my younger son through his first all-star tournament, I've made some of these mistakes myself where I needed, uh, I needed the manager of our team to be strong and tell me, Hey, no, you're wrong here. And he did that. And I'm eternally grateful for the fact that he just said, no, no, you're wrong. Yeah. We need to do it this way because you're not seeing what I'm seeing. And then he was right. But it was, you know, I'm blinded by my own, this is what I think my kid can do. Yeah. And I was nervous for him to be in a scenario where he wasn't going to be comfortable. And then when he was put into that spot, he thrived. Yeah. So I think having a, having a strong head coach who will take control and be honest with everyone involved mm-hmm. can really help a lot of that. Like you have a non-dad head coach. You you could kind of get away with having coordinators and assistant coaches that are dads, yeah. but only if your head coach, number one, is respected, number two, is competent, and number three, is honest and can tell you, no, this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, but, and yeah. I, I realized that, I don't know. I know it's a negative connotation, but I'm sure this happens with mommy ball as well. And I thought of a good example. You know, you're bringing up good examples of when there's an established head coach and the mm-hmm. kid grows into it. I mean, Lisa uh, Johnson Johnson and Elma, established head coach in Elma. Mm-hmm. Her daughter comes up, part of the program, grows into high school. That age group grows on to, you know, into the state tournament. Mm-hmm. 
that is, as we were talking about, a very successful way. And I don't think I, I haven't heard any rumblings about, oh, Kaylee was only playing point guard because her, mm-hmm. no, she was a good point guard. Like, that's just how it happened. But I just wanted to bring up, like, I'm sure these scenarios don't just play out with dads. Like, so it's, I, it's whatever parent wants to be involved yeah. mm-hmm. and how they want to be involved. So I guess for a parent that you have kids and you want to be involved in their coaching, start coaching now, non, not your kids. Yeah. Don't, like, start coaching now. If you get want to involved. coach in the, if you want to yeah. coach at high school, then yeah, get involved before your kids in high school. Yeah. And coaching not your kids is probably a good way to prepare you for what to treat your kid like when they get there. Oh, yeah. that is. Because I've never coached a team that one of my kids wasn't on. Fortunately, I'll add this too. I was lucky as I've seen so many dads that I've coached with and against struggle with their kids and butt heads with their kids. My children are extremely easy. So I never, I can count on one hand the amount of issues that I had with one of my boys or my daughter last year in mm-hmm. softball with having some kind of issue coaching yeah. a child. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, because I'm not there yet. My son's five months old. And mm-hmm. he hasn't, I haven't started coaching him technically yet. <laughs> uh, let's just say, let, let's hope that he has a gross temperament and not Hargrove temper. <laughs> I'm hoping for a mix. Completely of a lot of pig-headed. Um, no, the thought. I, I'm hoping that my discussions with coaches and my talkings with you, talkings. Mm-hmm. That's a weird word. Speakings. That's, speakings. Speaks. We have speaks. That I, I'm trying to because I'm worried about these issues when I get there. Like I'm worried about a lot of these issues, and you know, I've asked you so many questions about how do you parent, how do you do this with your kids, and how do you, you know encourage your kids to do something without forcing them to do things and i've had all these things and i'm hoping that by talking to coaches and also having coached some without my kids doing it like i helped with some high school teams when obviously i didn't have a kid on the team because it was years ago but i was a coach on high school teams and also i know this is to completely but i've coached softball teams even though they're slow pitch teams i'm hoping that working with these different things can kind of prepare me a little bit to get into that spot because man when we were playing i think even as kids we all had those situations where we were like man i'm getting treated completely differently from this kid mm-hmm. or that kid and whether that was my dad as the coach or my brother as the coach because boy that was pretty obvious when my brother was hitting his ground balls when i was in high school mm-hmm. He would come up and roid one at me as hard as he could, and then everybody else in the line would get a nice ground ball. And it happened when my dad wasn't the coach, and we were like, man, that kid gets to shoot a lot, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Like, it, it definitely happens on both sides, and I think that I was always of the opinion before of, yeah, my kid, he's going to be treated harder than everybody else, and I don't think that's right either. No, it's Well, sometimes, but... I'll just say, like, it's all a balancing act. So sometimes you do it to compensate for what other people are saying or doing mm-hmm. or what other perceptions are. And for me, it's it's less been about, like, the hard coaching, and it's been more about who gets what opportunities. Like, yeah. well, why does your kid always get to pitch? Okay, I'll put my kid in left field. Your kid can pitch. Like, not in that – not directly like that, yeah. but in a similar fashion. Um yeah, so I, 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 
there's also an example that I'll, I'll just bring up that is another reason why it can be really difficult. So there's a person that we both know who used to be a local girls basketball coach. Okay. And this person coached for a few years and it was through while his daughter was in high school. And it becomes a problem not only because people think that, and his, and this is his daughter with her friends and the people that she's been hanging out with and she's friends with outside of basketball and been playing basketball with these girls for years. And the coach does something that the team, the rest of the girls perceive as unfair or they don't like. So then the coach's daughter has to sit there in the locker room and listen to these girls just complain about her dad. Wow. And it creates issues between kids as well. Like, it's not just the issue of parents' coaches or players' coaches. It creates issues between players mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And I think you ultimately you might have been right with the way you started this conversation. Like, these things are happening because sometimes there legitimately is nobody else to do the job. And I'm not saying that you should never have a parent who coaches high school sports. Yeah. I think that... Schools need to be really, really, really careful about who they let in and what the situation is around it because it can create situations and issues that you never dreamed of. Mm -hmm. It can turn people who have been working well together for years and years and years can turn against each other because, well, now it's high school and now scholarships are on the line. Now you got kids who are going to these camps that they pay thousands of dollars to go to where people are telling them, oh, no, you're great. You should be a high prospect. And parents just buy into that stuff. Like when the stakes get higher and parents think what happens now is going to be a huge impact on what happens in the future, it causes people to turn against each other in a way. Especially when they're thinking, I want my kid to go to school, but it'd be really nice if I didn't have to put off retirement for 40 more years. That too. Like, that's... There's there's financial reasons or, why people start caring a lot. Or you're living vicariously through your child because if you really cared yeah. that much about the college expense, why would you be paying thousands of dollars every summer for your kids to go to camps to be maybe you scouted. think that's his best maybe you think that's his best best yeah. route. Yeah. I'm just saying that it isn't always just people living vicariously through their kids. Yeah, there's also a lot more of yeah. other pressures that add to that. But you do see that a lot. Oh, no, you see that. <laughs> that is at the root of even in middle school. I mean, I'll bring that up. My, a lot I, of it. When I explained to my brother the definition of daddy ball, that was mm-hmm. the first thing my brother went, brought up. Was like, yeah. And then there's also the people who are vicariously living through their kids to live out their dreams. Yeah. yeah. Also something I'm worried about. <laughs> so it's probably one of those things that we talk about a lot that's an unsolvable issue mm-hmm. within local sports that we're just going to run into. And the other thing is there's a lot of gray area. People need to realize not all these situations are the same. Like there's a lot of right and wrong. There's a lot of mixture of right and wrong. There's a lot of neutral territory where people and relationships are complicated and you can't judge a situation from the outside often because you don't know everything that happened inside. So, I mean, we can draw conclusions if we want to, but I guess there's a, a couple of these scenarios that I know very intimately what happened on the inside of them, and I see a lot of, man, this is a crappy situation, but I see how you got there. Like, yeah. I understand why you made the decisions that you did to get to this spot, Yeah. and now you're in an unwinnable position. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, yeah, that's it. I'll leave it there. Yeah, it's this. You can see why we put off this topic. For so long. <laughs> yeah, because we it's, all have our own opinions. Yeah, yeah. And of, we all can see the perfect situation. Yeah. And the perfect situation is very hard to get to. Yeah, the perfect situation is finding a place with a world class coaching staff. All the way, all the way, all the ages, and raising your kids there. And that's hard to find. It is hard to find. And And when it exists, people look sideways at you when you want to move there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guy. (laughs) I don't even live in Monty anymore. But that, that is part of... I mean, not to get you salty. That is part of why stuff like that happens because of that perception of I can go there and I don't have to worry about who's going to be coaching my kids. They're probably going to be awesome. That mm-hmm. that is part of why or established. Oh, yes, established. Like I don't have to worry about it. Like yeah. that's just. Yeah. And also, there's a there's a billion reasons why parents or players get frustrated with with a certain yep. organization. Like you yeah. have a kid who comes up through Monty but feels like that they weren't treated the way that they were supposed to, and so they transfer to Hoquiam or vice versa. Like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes around. Oh, sure. You yeah. know, that... Yeah. And sometimes it's like... Sometimes you can look at that situation with the parents and go, okay, really? Like, you're yeah. doing that <laughs> just for a sports situation? And sometimes there's, like, a lot of really legitimate stuff that are good reasons why they want to go somewhere else. Yep. I was just saying, like, the perfect situation and realized I could... Like, midway through that, I realized I could swing it into a swipe at Daniel. So. Yeah. <laughs> or but Daniel's favorite pet subject, I guess. Yeah. And you see it more so... I mean, I always joke that Monty's the private school of the area. Right. That's not actually true. And no, they're I a public that. school. Yeah. <laughs> but could you imagine having this conversation in an area where there were private school yeah. options? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Lyndon Christian. <laughs> Kings. Ah. Royal await. <laughs> oh yeah, Royal's just a public school. <laughs> yeah. That blew my mind. All right, is that are we good? I t- yeah, let's just leave it by saying everyone needs to kind of look at every scenario with understanding. Like try try not to assume that everyone in every situation is horrible and bad because there's a lot of gray area in there. Um, but also you have to know that sometimes people are doing the best they can for the team and sometimes they're doing the best they can just for their kid. So it's hard to know and, if you and it's hard think... to parse out what's what, but um, if you just try to just you are the problem. That's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say if you don't think it's a problem, you're the problem. But just try to view it with human understanding. Yes. Like everybody's a human. Everybody understand. Everybody makes mistakes. Yep, absolutely. Except me. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, present company accepted. The world and the world of sports would be better if we all had a little bit more grace for each other. That is absolutely for sure. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. So for my co-host, Daniel, everybody makes mistakes, Hargrove. And <laughs> ex- Justin, except Justin Domichetics. <laughs> our special guest today, Ian Cope. Thank you so much to him coming great. in and filling and giving us background and really a deep dive onto that great Montesano team. That was awesome. He's also the voice of Grace Harbor High School Sports, which bugs him every time I say that. And yet I'm going to keep calling him that. <laughs> And our trusty producer, Andrew Gokugs. Gokugs. Andrew, what was his name though? Goat? Andrew, yeah. Andrew oh, yeah. Goat. Andrew Goat Gross. <laughs> the Goat. Gokugs. 
that plays really well after I was bad mouthing how how friendly goats were too. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Goats are the worst.